Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information that you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is part of a series of short episodes on food access, featuring a Q&A with Nicole Rodriguez. It is my honor today to have Nicole here. Nicole is an award-winning dietitian nutritionist based in the New York metro area, In addition to serving a diverse clientele via her telehealth-based practice, she is also the co-founder of Step Bite Step, a weight loss and physical activity program. Nicole is passionate about empowering individuals to feel good about the abundance of food choices at their fingertips and utilizes her co-hosting duties on the Food Bullying Podcast to do just that. While Nicole loves working one-on-one with clients towards their health goals, She also helps spread the word about food via her brand partnership, which have included American Dairy Northeast, the New York Beef Council, Bush Brothers and Company, General Mills, Wish Farms, California Leaf Greens, and Bear Crop Science. So I'm excited today because we are going to be talking about uncovering the latest research on this topic and the trend that it has in dietetics. Well, it's not really a trend. I feel like we've had food access issues for as long as I've been a dietitian at least. So I wanna open it up with the first question and that really is food access disparities. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with what the latest research reveals about the impact of food insecurity on health and nutrition? Yeah, so this is a subject really near and dear to my heart because I spent my, uh, you know, my DFN years, you know, those years gaining the necessary schooling to sit for the RD exam, as well as my internship. I spent a lot of that time in what is literally the poorest congressional district in the country in the South Bronx, right? Like volunteering and doing outreach, working farmers markets, all of these different things. So kind of like just setting the stage there, I always have that population in mind. And we know that in the post-COVID times, we know just like in the general climate that we're in right now, that access is, is an issue. We know, of course, that food prices are an issue. But we also, Lisa, we have this really like wide popularization of plant-based diets. Am I right? Do you notice this same? I think you're probably noticing this (laughs) same. Yeah, I'm sure you're noticing this same trend. And what we're seeing here in New York City is that that trend is arguably becoming a barrier to access specifically in New York City schools. So you might've heard many years ago that they were enacting meatless Mondays in New York city. Do you remember that when that, um, when that was, when that was rolled out and more recently, not only are we doing meatless Mondays in the New York city schools, by the way, I no longer live in New York city, but I am adjacent. So not only are they doing meatless Mondays, but now they are doing a vegan Friday in New York city schools. So on the surface, 
Lisa, we know a lot of the benefits of a plant-based diet, right? We know that increasing your fruit and vegetable consumption is a fantastic idea. We know that making sure we're meeting fruit and vegetable requirements is something that a lot of us are not doing, right? There's only about 10% of the population doing that. However, what's kind of underpinning all of that is that now we have school children who are being denied other nutrient-dense foods, not only once a week, but now twice a week. So when we're, again, when we're talking about some of these children living in some of these places like the South Bronx, when they go to school, those are arguably the most nutrient-dense meals that they're getting in the day. And when we talk specifically about Friday and Monday, we don't know what they're getting on a Saturday and Sunday. So now potentially they have four days lined up in a row where they're not getting access to things like meat, things like dairy and the like. So unfortunately we have this, we have this kind of paradox, right? Like we know that plant-based in some ways can be really, really good, but then we also see Um, and you can link this in your show notes, we do also have some evidence that perhaps putting these kinds of restrictions on children are not optimal for their growth either. So as far as, you know, what does the latest research reveal? We don't yet have the data of what this is going to look at long-term in this very small concentrated population, but we do have data from 2021 that points to, hmm, maybe this is really just a limit of access. And I think there are conversations we can have of how can we do better, right? How can we maybe be encouraging consumption of plant-based foods, but not putting such strict parameters around it? Yes, that, and I, and I love what you said about the four days, because that is so, when you put in perspective of saying four days, that is so eye-opening. And yes. I, I do think that the plant-based trend, it is flooding the market. So not only is it, And as a dietitian, I speak from this viewpoint, I go to the market and there's like another product that popped up and I'm like, oh, I didn't know about this product. So now I got to go look it up. So it's like even hard as a dietitian from my viewpoint to keep up. So I can't even imagine for a consumer, somebody that's not trained the way we are, how are they keeping up with all these new products? And then they're, then now they're announcing, okay, there's a vegan Friday. So I do, I thank you for sharing that because that is an eye-opening statistic. And I, I like the fact that you, you told us where you came from the, and, and you cited that it was the poorest congressional district population. So from that viewpoint, I would love to hear from you. If you could share a story from that time. Oh gosh. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. There, I mean, there are so many, but there's one in particular that comes to mind. So I did some volunteer work in some schools and one of them was a school for children who maybe couldn't be in the traditional school for whatever reason. And, um, some of them were girls who were pregnant as teenagers. That was, that was, you know, a portion of the population there. And I went and taught nutrition ed, but also had the opportunity to interact with some parents. And there was a parent who told me that, you know, we think about sugary snacks, we think about chips, right? We think about all of these things and we're supposed to be like, oh, no, 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 don't have these things. 
And this mother put it to me in this context. She said, I would rather have these things at home that I know my daughter wants because I don't want her taking the risk of going down to the corner store. I don't want her taking the risk of walking there because I don't feel it's safe. And that's really a stark reality. So when we start to peel back some of these layers of what access looks like, it's not only okay, do I have access to A, B, C, D food, right? We could talk about that all day, but then we have to talk about, is it, you know, is it safe to go get that food? Um, another example, a lot of people living in SROs, right? Single room occupancy housing. We might say something like, oh, well, just prepare. Lisa, how many times in our career have we said something like, oh, well, just microwave some oatmeal, that's inexpensive or like just heat this up on the stove and like maybe there's not even a stove to be had right so maybe there's you no know, maybe there's a hot plate but not a full setup of something so you know we talk about access we talk it's it's not just about what's accessible economically it's also about what is literally physically accessible and that looks different in a lot of different places. So is that the norm? Like, thankfully, that's not the norm across the country. But we do need to be aware that in some cases that could be the norm. Yes, it's so true. And, and the fact that you were in the poorest district, you can, that gives you this great experience to kind of say, okay, now, because you've seen, you've seen, I guess the most basic, you're saying somebody didn't have a stove, like they just yeah. use a hot plate. Like, what do they do if they don't have either a hot, like, have you, you probably seen an example of not even having a hot plate too. So in that situation, the most difficult situation that you've been in from that experience, you can kind of take that, what you apply there and to give guidance to any dietitian that has, has a similar experience. So how has that impacted the future recommendations that you've given since then? I really tried to meet people where they're at and not make assumptions. I think it's so easy to make assumptions of what people have, of what people can and can't do. Um, and, you know, the truth of the matter is that sometimes any little improvement is still an improvement. And it really taught me you can't just go one, you can't just go from zero to 60. And you really have to be very careful of demonizing ready to ready prepared foods, takeout foods, fast foods, things that might not be, might not be deemed quote unquote healthy or even nutrient dense. Um, but sometimes that's really what someone is working with. So just being really cognizant of not bringing my own ideas of what maybe the media says is healthy or what someone who's only working with a very well-heeled clientele says is healthy or even my own version of what is healthy, but taking all of those different factors into account. Yes. And I love what you said about meeting people where they're at, because that's really, that's an, that's an excellent takeaway for what we were just discussing. And I literally, now, literally and figuratively, yes. right? Like where are you, I mean, you could ha be having that conversation 
sure, like where are you at a stage of readiness for change, but also literally where are you? Like, where are you doing your shopping? Where are you making your food purchases? What exactly does that look like? And that's really applicable to any patient. It just makes a lot of sense to get into the nitty gritty of all of those things with someone. So you could really, really help them get to be where they want. Yeah, so true. And thank you for sharing your wisdom on talking about the latest research and trends in dietetics on food access and disparities. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.